You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. I'm actually down in Las Vegas this week, uh, the yearly Amazon Web Services reInvent conference. And this is uh, an amazing uh, thing to actually uh, come to. There's literally tens of thousands of, we're going to call them enthusiastic uh, tech nerds, learning all about the latest in cloud and AI. AI, obviously a huge topic over the past uh, year, year and a half. And I'm trying to learn as much as I can. I've got uh, Eric Gales here with me. He's the uh, country manager for Amazon Web Services. Thanks for joining me. Great to be here, Mike. Thank you. And again, just for the listeners, uh, I, I think, you know, I've covered this before, but a lot of people still think Amazon's, you know, Amazon Prime Video and I get my, my packages from, <laughs> from Amazon. But Amazon Web Services is a huge other side of the company. Yeah, that's right. Amazon Web Services, it was, it was born out of Amazon. And so... It is the world's largest cloud services provider. And so what it enables customers to do is to be able to consume technology services over the internet on a pay-as-you-go basis. And it started with two services, um, storage and compute, and now is over 240 different services that are available to anyone to come and use uh, in their business or for personal use. That's a lot of different services. Like, I, you know, again, when I think a lot of listeners hear, you know, Amazon Web Services, they think, yeah, just cloud and, and storage. But you said like 200, like what are some of those? Yeah. So ranging <clears throat> everything from what we call sort of primitive, so that the basic building blocks of compute and storage and networking all the way through to um, what would be more traditionally called a, like a SaaS service. And so we have a product called Amazon Connect, which is a virtual call center in the cloud. And so instead of having to deploy that capability and into your own environment, you can just stand up a call center in minutes and use it within your environment. So, uh, for example, if like a Tellers or Rogers wanted to set up some more call centers, they don't have to buy all that equipment and everything. They just go to you. They just have to supply the people, essentially. Yeah, any any customer. One of the sort of incredible things about this era of cloud computing is now it's no longer the... Um, access to the capabilities. It's a sort of, I, we, we call it sort of democratizing the technology. So the technology is available to the largest and the smallest businesses. And so it's not a matter, matter of access, it's about your ability to be able to, to use it. And so acquiring the skills and training, which is why we invest a lot there, but also we've got lots of partners to help customers sort of translate these building blocks into value for them. So what does it mean for Canada then? Like what is Amazon doing in Canada to, to develop this? And what kind of investments happening here? Well, we, we, firstly, um, we do have customers that, um, that want to keep their data in Canada. And so when I started, I think nearly eight years ago, we, we announced that we'd be bringing the capability to Canada. And so we have um, these web services that are delivered from within Canada in data centers that we have. It's in, in, in AWS speak, we call it a region. So we have a region that has multiple availability zones. It's multiple data centers and customers can keep their data and use their services in Canada. It also solves for some customers that need a lower latency, so they need less time to get to one of these data centers. And so we've invested over 1.4 billion in Canada so far. Uh, we've indicated that we're going to invest up to $20 billion in up to 2037 in Canada. And part of that has included the announcement earlier this year of a second region in Canada, which we're building in the West. We're based out of Calgary. And so that, again, will enable customers to keep their data in Canada and also lower latency to the Western provinces. So we continue to invest based on the customer feedback that we're getting in Canada. Uh, we've had huge uptake of our services, which is obviously exciting across every type of industry. And so we're going to continue to invest to meet the needs of our Canadian customers. 
Mike Agarbo here for Get Connected. We're down in Las Vegas at uh, Amazon's big uh, AWS uh, conference, learning all about AI and cloud computing. Uh, you know, later in the program, uh, we're going to be talking how you guys are involved with sports technology, like with the NFL and NHL, uh, which is just uh, fascinating. And even learning uh, how uh, to learn cloud and AI services well. You've got like a whole kind of a learning track for that let anyone can just join for free in many cases to, to learn some of this yeah that's right i mean i think we we see that as a as a huge focus is helping customers to understand how to apply this technology where to apply this technology and to acquire the skills to actually deploy it and so we have a huge global initiative to tra to train over 25 million people within the next five years on this capability we also have um, a whole range of free uh, skills courses which are available on the internet. There's over 600 courses which are available to anybody to come and take advantage of and learn more about this technology. And of course, a huge partner ecosystem globally that in many cases is very intimate with particular types of technology or particular industries where customers can reach out to them to get support to help them deploy the software. I want to talk about the environmental impact of uh, cloud computing now. You know, I, I think a lot of people are reading, sure, cloud computing is great, but it's in a tremendous... Uh, has a tremendous impact on uh, the environment and, and, and climate. Because, I mean, you've got all these computers, all the cooling has to happen for that. The energy consumption right. is huge. Yeah, well, I, I'd say the first thing is that, yes, you know, as, as, more, um, as there are more and more use cases of customers deploying digital technology to use it for their businesses and their employees and, and for personal use, of course, there is more computers in use. The interesting thing is that Using these sort of aggregation points, for example, in AWS region, we get um, a really high density of consumption. We get to really improve the efficiency of all that compute power, as opposed to when it was deployed to every because it would still company. it would still be out there, right? Still be out Just there, but all over the place. But also, typically, a lower utilization. So customers using the, so they're running a data center and they're cooling their equipment, but they're actually running at a much lower utilization. When you aggregate the supply and demand, we can get some real efficiencies by putting that, um, all of that requirement, that capacity through our um, consolidated data center facilities, our regions. Um, but notwithstanding that, of course, there is a lot of energy being consumed. It's actually the largest sort of input cost into uh, these facilities. And so we have a huge focus on uh, reducing the environmental impact by uh, bringing uh, more renewable energy into, uh, into these environments. And so we have a singular focus to uh, over time to move our entire operation to be entirely powered by renewable energy, which actually has included some direct investments in Canada. So we have, Amazon has the two largest um, solar farms in Canada, in Alberta. This Earlier this year, we announced a big investment in a, in a wind farm in Canada as well, also in Alberta. And so that part of Amazon's broader global commitments to renewable energy, and, and in fact, Amazon is the largest consumer of and, and purchaser of renewable energy on the planet today. What about water? Well, we've also, again, in, in these data center facilities, um, there's historically, they have been environments that consume, that they're a net consumer of water. We have a commitment to get to a net neutral, actually a net positive um, water consumption um, model within our facilities by 2030. 2030. Very exciting. So uh, we're in Las Vegas. We're talking uh, with Eric Gales. Uh, 
the AWS conference. What are you kind of excited to see here? What are some of the things that are piquing your interest? You know, I think it's it's um, it's very difficult to ignore the sort of level of excitement around generative AI and uh, to see that sort of an explosion this year of interest uh, in generative AI. And so you and everyone that's attending this week will see a big focus on that and some really exciting announcements. And as I sort of think about this every year, one of the sort of unique features of Amazon and AWS is that a huge amount of what we deploy and build is based on feedback from customers. And so this year, uh, myself and of course, all of our colleagues around the world have been taking a lot of feedback from customers as they seek to deploy generative AI and they encounter questions and challenges around security and privacy and scalability and cost. And so you'll see this week uh, lots of interesting and exciting announcements from AWS designed to help those customers um, respond to those questions that they're encountering. And so it's always a really exciting time of year um, when we get an opportunity to bring our customers together and start to share what we've been doing on their behalf to help them take advantage of this generative AI capability this year. Well, excited to check it all out. Eric, I want to thank you for joining us again. Great. Great to be here and enjoy the show. That was Eric Gales from Amazon Web Services. We still got a really fascinating show. We are down in Las Vegas checking out all the latest tech, and that comes in the form of uh, AI. And so some cool companies we're going to be talking to. One is a, a real estate tech company that can help you find really specific things in a home that you might be searching for. So typically now when we uh, look for a new home, there's uh, just one or two websites, and you're just going on price and how many bedrooms. What if you could tell it that you want a certain style of kitchen cabinet? Uh, it can actually go through all of those listings in the photos and find that uh, for you. We'll also be talking uh, about sports technology, how that's uh, being used from an AI and cloud perspective to reduce injuries and help teams win using statistics and uh, all that data that they're getting now. Don't forget to enter our contest. We're working with the TELUS uh, Smart Home Security folks. Uh, we're giving uh, away a really cool smart home automation package with cameras, uh, a year-long subscription to TELUS Home Smart Security. Go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here down in Las Vegas, uh, checking out the Amazon Web Services Conference and learning all sorts of uh, new technologies uh, and how AI has really changed how businesses uh, are working with customers uh, here in Canada. Don't forget to enter our contest on our website, getconnectedmedia.com, giving away a really cool prize pack from uh, TELUS Pets. You got to check this uh, out. Again, getconnectedmedia.com, giving away uh, an iPhone 15 and an Xbox One Series S. You can actually go there, enter, and uh, actually judge on uh, who has the best pet photo uh, as well. Just follow the links. Uh, we're... Uh, talking now about real estate and this is fascinating we've got to iman uh, najed he is with wahi realty thanks for joining us today thank you so much for having me here so i i found this interesting uh i love going to realtor.ca and checking out house prices and stuff uh and you can search by price region how many bedrooms that that kind of stuff if it's got a pool or not but your company's taking that to another level and you can explain to the listeners what kind of capabilities you can offer yeah, for sure. Um, we use the new technology um, through some advanced algorithms um, for providing the filters based on the images, based on the content in the real estate images. Because 
as you said, traditional real estate platforms only work with the functional items such as number of bedrooms, price, square footage. They're just going through, like they're searching through text. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or the data in the MLS. Yes. Uh, but what we've learned at Wahi is that majority of the consumers spend too much time by looking at the listing images and photos. So they are very important to the consumers. And we said that we have to provide a filter based on the content in the images. So the consumers can search um, uh, for specific terms, such as renovated kitchen with a specific cabinet style, and only those listings with that particular characteristics would be prioritized to those consumers. And uh, ultimately, it would be having a more personalized, efficient, and relevant home search experience for the home buyers. That's uh, why we use this new technology, which is called generative AI. And so it, it's just like, it's just looking at photos. It's not looking at the database. Nothing, no. just photos. And this is the good thing about uh, these algorithms because data may, may not be a uh, correct source of the information in the real estate. Realtors might um, have uh, some wrong information about the square footage, age of the home, and other, other data points about the listings. What we want to do here is to correct those informations as well. So by looking at the images without looking at any other data, we want to provide these filters to, pri uh, to prioritize those listings based on these search terms from the, cus uh, from the consumers. So it, that saying, a picture is worth a thousand words, really rings true here. 100% true. Because I know when I'm looking through the, uh, the realty listings, there is a lot of misinformation in there and a lot of missing information I, I find. So that's why I always look at the pictures as well, just to kind of get more of, of a feeling of what that house is uh, all about. Like, is there a renovated kitchen? How are the bathrooms? What does the backyard uh, look like? So how do, how do you how do you work? Do you work with uh, the, the realty boards or like how, how do you get access to the photos? Um, we have, um, we, we are a member of different boards. For example, in GTA, we are a member of um, TREP, we are a member of ITSO, we are a member of CREA, and we have access to all those listing, um, uh, property listings. And if you use our mobile app, Wahi mobile app or Wahi.com, you will be having access to all the sold uh, listings in Ontario and Nova Scotia as of now, uh, and also active listings in other provinces in Canada as well, plus Ontario and Nova Scotia, as I mentioned. So all those data are available in those MLS. And then we have access to the images as well. What we do is to apply a filter on these images to give consumer a more flexible option to pro uh, prioritize these listings. Because otherwise, you should look at images, maybe 10 to 40 images at each listing, and then, um, and then pick up the proper home to view as a home buyer, right? Imagine if you apply this filter and you want to only get the listings with a finished basement in a detached home. So it saves too much time at your end. So your search would be more personalized based on your requirement, and it would be more efficient and faster to find a home. So I have to ask this, like, how do you make money? Like, who, who is paying for this? Is it the end user? Is it the realty boards? Is it the realtors? Yeah, at Wahi, we connect top consumers, highly qualified leads to the top realtors. Got it. Yeah. And um, we work with the realtors to um, earn money from uh, some, some portion of the commissions from the realtors as well. Uh, but we are 100% focusing on consumers. We want yes. to make them happy about their experience for searching the homes, for finding a good and top realtors in a specific area, for buying or selling a particular property. And this is how the, the, the company uh, generates revenue. 
So we're uh, we're talking about Wahi Realty. They make it uh, easier and more specific to find the exact things you want in a new home, like remodeled kitchens. What are some of the other things that you're working on to to really hone that down? Um, so we estimate the home price as well. Uh, this is something that we offer um, um, as one of the best or most accurate models in the market to estimate the home valuation. Um, so you, as the user, you can change the characteristic of your home. You want to see what would be the price of my home if I add a bedroom or if I finish my basement. The price can go up and down depending on your characteristics changed in your home. This is a huge guidance to the consumers. And this is on top of that image-based filters that we offer to the consumers. This is something else that they can use uh, to optimize their search uh, experience. We're talking with Iman Naljad. He is with Wahi Realty, a really cool uh, tech company here in Canada, making it uh, easier for us to find the home of our dreams. I want to thank you for joining us on the program today. I really appreciate your time and having me here. Still lots more to talk about here on Get Connected down in Las Vegas for the Amazon Web Services uh, Conference. It's called reInvent, learning all about the latest in AI. Uh, we will uh, be talking coming up here with the folks from Lonely Planet, uh, the the travel companion guides. They've been going around uh, for about 50 years now, uh, print publications, uh, but also big on the web now. They're going to be uh, using generative AI to... Uh, help make travel itineraries for their readers. We'll tell you uh, all about that. And really fascinating discussion about uh, sports technology and how AI and sensors is improving uh, many major league games, but also helping reduce player injuries uh, as well, which I think uh, we all look forward to. Don't forget to hit our contests to giving away a really cool... uh, Smart Home Package, it's worth over $1,000. It's from TELUS uh, Smart Home Security and does uh, include uh, you know, a few cameras, uh, a video doorbell, a uh, smart security pendant uh, as well. You got to check it out, getconnectedmedia.com. And keep tuning into the show because we're going to give you a secret word at uh, the end of the program to get you some extra entries uh, as well. Once more, the website, getconnectedmedia.com. While we come back from the break, how to make the perfect travel itinerary. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo here. Let's talk tech and travel. I think uh, a lot of uh, us now obviously use the internet uh, when we are planning out our travel. It's uh, so much easier than uh, years before. I remember in the old days, you'd have to go through travel agents uh, to book all the tickets and get all the pamphlets. Well, of course, you can do that online. One site I use a lot is uh, Lonely Planet. It's uh, fantastic for reviews uh, and uh, looking at all the different uh, places you can go in the world. So we've got a great guest from Lonely Planet. His name is Chris Wine. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. I do use your site all the time because obviously there's lots of reviews out there, but you guys uh, have been doing this for many years and I just love uh, how accurate <laughs> your your information uh, is. But uh, from what I understand now, you are using generative AI to help uh, your community actually uh, plan out uh, travel itineraries. Yeah, so we've begun partnership with AWS and we've been focusing on implementing generative AI as part of the trip planning process. To be clear, we don't want to use generative AI to reproduce our articles or our books, but what we have identified is that we've got 50 years of local expert recommendations locked up in multiple medium, and there are so many people out there who are using the internet to plan trips. And when I go talk to customers, they talk about these massive spreadsheets that they've built or, you know, 30 
Google Chrome tabs that they have up and, and they're just trying to know, like, is this place good enough? I only have four days in Italy. I want to make sure every minute is worthwhile. And we can help them do that because all of our recommendations are based off of real people, local experts, and lived experiences. Let's just get that out there again, though. 50 years. You guys have been doing this for 50 years. I mean, there's a lot of knowledge there. Yeah. Since 1973, our founders started with one or two titles. Now we have over 825 guidebooks in circulation um, for just about every everywhere from Borneo to Greece to Italy to the entire of the USA. I, I do love uh, using your guys' information, uh, like I said earlier, because you know, you'll know you'll Google best places in Lisbon, Portugal to go, and there's just a lot of crap. <laughs> you know, a lot of uh, website results that come up that just are kind of meaningless. But I have to ask the question, you know, you guys have got this, uh, this tool. Uh, how is that going to be different than some of these other generative uh, AI tools out there? Like, I could just do, use ChatGPT to kind of do the same thing. Yeah. So I think the thing that makes what we're doing unique is that we really are focused on a specific data set that is our book data set. That is not something that has been out on the internet. That is not something that has trained any other models like uh, ChatGPT, for yeah. example, from OpenAI. Um, instead, we're leveraging techniques that can extract from our corpus of book content and repackage those points of interest and those recommendations in a doable context if you're trying to plan a day or, f or four hours or a morning. That's that's a keyword, doable, because <laughs> the, the different places you might want to go might be hours apart and you're not really fully recognizing that, right? Yeah, and it, it depends on where you're at, right? It depends on if two things, two points are possible. You know, in London, if you're looking at it from a walking context, probably not possible, but nobody really needs to walk from point A to point B in London. You've got the tube or the underground um, so we really look through not just our expertly curated recommendations, but what our local experts know about the place, how to do it, why to do it, the context behind the recommendations. On the other hand, you just get a list of stuff from the internet. And quite often, if you're Googling it, you get a list of stuff that starts with people who have paid for a position in the search result. So it's not necessarily going to be about really, is this a good rating or really, is this a good recommendation? In some cases, those things can be bought, uh, not whenever Lonely Planet's local experts are curating these experiences and itineraries for our customers. So, you know, the experts you're working with, this is editorial. It's like, these are real people living, the, living what they're doing there. Yeah. These are real people talking about lived experiences. Everything that we recommend is something that our, our editors, our, our contributors, uh, over 750 strong globally, um, have actually done. It's not something that an algorithm is saying, this is the next best thing, or this is somebody who has paid for advertising. It's quite literally uh, an editorial writer, a local expert talking about their place that they're from and why you should do things and the, the story behind it. And, and in many cases, how you should do it. I think it's really important. How often have you been at a church uh, in Rome and you see all those no photo signs, but still people are taking pictures and they shouldn't be, right? Totally, yes. So, you know, we also uh, aim to explain, you know, how you should how you should experience these different things that we're recommending. So you're the you're the digital guy, the tech guy, right? That is putting this all together. I am the tech guy, but yep. at Lonely Planet, the real magic, the core of our product is and is and always will be our content and and you know, our best assets are people. So like what steps did you have to do to create this new tool? Like it seems really overwhelming, like to to take all that information and somehow 
distill it all in, you know, into like these itineraries. 50 years aggregates a lot of content. Yeah. Okay. And it, it was it was a lot to get started. And, you know, I mentioned AWS uh, earlier in the interview. They were able to bring their uh, innovation center, their generative AI innovation center in to help us work through the use cases. We wanted to stay true to the original editorial content and, and identify a solution that was both secure in nature and didn't take our content and now train other models on it. And AWS was able to help us uh, they brought some of their applied science experts in and they were able to, in about the course of eight weeks, help us figure out, like, what does this roadmap need to look like? And then, you know, we've just been full steam ahead since then. So how long is this journey from start to finish? You said it took, you know, eight weeks for them to come in and help with the roadmap. Like, how long is, I mean, I guess that road keeps going forever, but like, how long did it take to have kind of a working model? About eight weeks. Uh, we started this in- Are you kidding? Eight, eight weeks. weeks. It's yeah. possible. Yeah, eight weeks. We started this in June. We had a working model um, that was able to use techniques to extract our content and make recommendations, not just, you know, where you want to go, but how you want to experience it as well. We have multiple ways that you can say, I'm a foodie and also culture is important to me. You can you can input these different uh, prompts that will help us curate what the best recommendations for the mix of things that you're looking for will be. So, uh, really, since June, we've got a beta that is currently being experimented on. And within the next couple of months, we're going to start launching uh, multiple destinations on LonelyPlanet.com. You hear the word hallucinations when it comes to AI. Um, like, how do you avoid that with what you're developing? Is it less because it's your own data compared to like sucking up all these other data sets out there? The techniques we're using do help with that. Um, you know, what we've seen certain instances of with hallucinations, um, large language models, which are the kind of foundational models that that when you hear Gen AI, that's really uh, a large component of the tech. Um, they love to embellish. And what we found is, you know, the adjectives that it adds often is, you know, if yeah. it says the forum is gigantic, that maybe is, it is, gigantic or huge but is that editorially what lonely planet would say that's yeah. not how we would explain it so it's huge it's huge so we've managed that um you know many companies are going down the path of building custom models or, or kind of deeply fine-tuning models we've really focused on prompt engineering and, and that's plain english work so our content and editorial team are able to help us kind of uh give the model feedback on exactly what it needs to return for us next time to reduce those hallucinations or those embellishments and is this going to be a cost to your community? Have you figured out a, a model around that? Yeah, we haven't figured all that out yet. We really want to test with the customer and, you know, get feedback. And we're very lucky. We've got a community of Lonely Planet enthusiasts that, um, you know, sign up every time we ask for feedback. And we look forward to iterating and, and figuring out some of those things. But our the main thing we're trying to solve is is the problem for our customer right now is get me the ungoogleable recommendations and make trip planning fun and easy and like spark the joy in it instead of it feeling like a job. When I talk to people, I mentioned it earlier about these massive spreadsheets and all these Google Chrome tabs, you know, it's, it's stressful. People really, you know, they're pulling their hair out on this restaurant or that restaurant and, and, you know, we want to make it a joy. Yeah. You know, cause I'm the travel planner in my family and it's a lot of anxiety. Like I feel a lot of pressure, like if you're going somewhere kind of cool, maybe over in Paris or London, just trying to figure out what is a good restaurant or what is a good museum or park to go to. And 
have to do like so much research and I just feel everyone kind of really relies on me for that. So something like a tool like this would just save like hours of time. I love hearing that. And that's consistent with the feedback that we've heard from our customers. Chris Wide here with me. He is with Lonely Planet. They've got a new uh, generative AI tool coming out that'll help you plan your trips no matter where you go. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. When we come back, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You're back with the program. Mike here. We are going to talk sports now. We've got a really cool guest with us. Her name is Julie Souza. She is with Amazon Web Services, and they're doing some really amazing things when it comes to analytics for major league sports teams. I'm talking NFL, NHL, NBA. I want to thank you for coming on the program. Super happy to be here. So I'm I'm just trying to wrap my head about around how much data that you know these sports teams can actually collect on the players and the games now. For example, in the NHL, uh, you know, I've seen where they've actually got sensors in the jerseys, yep. the puck, the NFL, they've got sensors around the stadium and the, and the football. Does it make a big difference to get all that data? Is it still not just a human sport? How does the data kind of yeah. come into, into play, so to speak? That's a great question. I mean, I think this data and it's, you know, you talk about the collection methods and, and the, the, the point to realize there, too, is that the volume in which we're getting this data is pretty quite extensive and copious, too. In the case of the NFL, we're collecting 300 million points of data per season, right? So Sorry, 300 million. 300 million points of data per season in the NFL, which is actually nothing compared to what we do with, the, uh, with F1. We're collecting 1.1 million points of data per second off those cars, right? And you start thinking about the use cases of that data. First of all, it's so copious that nobody's sitting there with a clipboard or Excel and making sense of it. But when you start applying technologies like machine learning and artificial intelligence and computer vision, um, you can start really gleaning insights that really do, I think, enhance the game, not just from an insights perspective for the fan, although I think that's a huge part of this, um, but from a game strategy perspective, from a player health and safety perspective, from a rule development perspective. You see, you start understanding this data, unpacking it, and you realize, okay, this particular action drives more a higher injury rate than than we're comfortable with, we're going to outlaw that action. And you've seen that happen in like the NFL as an example. Well, that's interesting. I mean, the NFL, I mean, th- that is a high injury sport. High I mean, those, injury. yeah, they are just hitting each other all, all the time. So they can get that granular to know what kind of injuries are, are happening and yeah. how to even potentially prevent them. Absolutely. So, um, you know, a lot of it is the anal- analyzing the data but, it's also data, but it's also the capture of the data. And you alluded to... Um, you know, the way that the NFL is capturing this data with chips in the um, in the shoulder pads for the players and in the ball, um, which gives you center of mass or center of gravity for these players. But it's not really capturing some of those things that would impact extremity injuries and things like that. So you start seeing the introduction of optical tracking, which is cameras in the venues. And that's pulling a whole other level of data, which can be married with that, you know, sensor-based data to get a more fulsome picture of what's happening, when it's happening, what precipitating actions happen, and, and whether or not they were contributing factors to a potential injury. Um, there's also things like load management, you know, where we know, okay, this sort of repetitive action is driving a, a higher injury rate, and so therefore we're going to take that out of our practice regimen or we're going to use it more sparingly. Um, so it's really interesting what, what you see in terms of optimizing performance, not just for gain on the field of play, but also gain in terms of player health and safety. So health and safety, I, I can totally wrap my head around that. Does it make a difference in winning games? Like, are these teams, do they have like a yeah, full suite of analysts just going through all the data yes. to see how they can 
yes. win more games. 100%. And so it's very interesting to see the investment teams are making in analytics staffs right now. Um, Texas Rangers just won the World Series. I don't think they were projected no, to they, win. No, they weren't. They have a very large analytics staff, and they do a lot of analytics work. Is that a wake-up call to the other teams? It is. Yeah. It is. I mean, look, back in the day, I mean, I, I could tell you when uh, data sources were available and you were looking at the standings, you knew the teams that were using them and using the, the data. Was, and, wasn't the data source someone just filming the game <laughs> and watching the, the film after? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it used to be, when, but when this tracking data started to come out, those teams that were using it were at the top of the standings. Those that were not were at the bottom, quite quite empirically, right? Um, I think you're starting to see everybody in every sport start to pay attention here, and it does make a difference. And it does. Um, I was talking with Sam Schwartzstein earlier today. He is the on-air analyst for Thursday Night Football Prime Vision on, on Amazon uh, Prime Video. And he was talking about just little tweaks that you could make in a game that, you know, whether or not to go for it on fourth down, I think he was talking about the Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles, and they have this play called the tush push, right? Where they get behind the you, you know your football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that play, they when you apply it um, effectively and you practice it, they were converting on fourth down 33% more than they, they had they could, previously. Because they could look back on that data and get the percentage of times that it actually worked. Yes. Yeah. It's awesome. And so when the teams uh, engage, you know, AWS and, you know, partners, does does that data go to all the teams? Are there some richer teams that have more access or poor teams? Great question. Don't? So the live game data is generally owned by, well, almost always owned by the league themselves. So the the next gen stats data you see coming out of the NFL form, you know, F1 Insights, uh, Bundesliga Match Facts, NHL Edge IQ, those that data set is owned by the league, and the the team has the right to use this data, right? Um, there are limitations about when, when, and how, and whatnot. But um, the live game action data is owned by the leagues, shared with the teams, shared often with broadcast partners, so they can use that data to tell a story to engage fans. Um, but, you know, from a practice facility perspective, teams can do what they want there in their own data capture methods. But um, the live game action, that that data is owned by um, the, the leagues themselves, and they actually make a lot of money sublicensing that data, too. I don't get overly technical, but when you have these sensors in the pads and in the ball, where's that data, like, where's it going? Is it going up to the cloud to yep. be analyzed? Yep, yeah. 100%. It's going up to the cloud um, with extremely low latency. Um, and it would have to be, right? Because it's yeah. happening so fast. It's happening so fast. No, look, some of these leagues have rules about not being able to use this data during the live game window, right? They're using it as a postmortem or, or whatnot. Um but there's a lot of stuff that we're doing actually in the cloud with super low latency, like producing games in the cloud, right? Which is a really cool thing that that we're seeing a lot of um, teams lean into, which I know is a little derivation from the topic of, of AI and ML. But if you think about watching a production of a live sporting event, those are big production trucks. You're schlepping equipment, you're sending people, you're having to use the talent that's locally available to you. Um, and, and you're not so kind to the environment when you do that either. So now seeing you know, uh, the camera capture go into a small encoding rack and sending all of that stuff into the cloud lets broadcasters, teams, leagues, whatever, broadcast in the cloud. We did a production um, of a Kraken, Seattle Kraken game for the NHL for their tech showcase in March that was done entirely in the cloud. My favorite thing about that, again, super low latency. I was watching our feed for our broadcast right next to the in-venue in camera. No discernible latency. 
and the people producing that game were... So, so they don't have to have all that gear? None of it. Up. It was a small encoding rack. I mean, the yeah. cameras are still in the venue. All feeds into an encoding rack, goes up to the cloud. There was no truck, no cabling, no huge staff on site. The technical director producing that program was based in Madison, Wisconsin. The replay person was in where you live in Vancouver. The graphics person uh, was in Toronto. Nobody actually producing that live event was in the venue. Carbon footprint was negligible. The uh, availability of talent was not limited by geography, right? Save a lot of money and a lot of time too. So that is a trend where we're seeing the cloud being leveraged in sports as well. Are we going to start seeing this technology trickle down to some of the the lower? Oh, we're already seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're already seeing some of the things on a professional level um, around player health and safety trickle down to um, leagues. I mean, none of the none of the helmets that college uh, college players were wearing in football um, today are the are the helmets they were wear, you know, wearing 10 years ago because of the the advancement in technology and the learnings from the professional leagues. Thanks for joining us, Julie. Thanks for having me. Well, it looks like uh, that's all the time we have left for the show. It's uh, been great being down here in Las Vegas uh, for the Amazon Web Services uh, Conference. Learned uh, a lot about AI and uh, the cloud. Don't forget to enter our contest. We are giving away a really cool prize package from Telus Home Security. Uh, this is worth over $1,000. You want to enter? GetConnectedMedia.com. And if you want extra chances, we have a secret word this week. It's camera. So again, go to the website, enter that secret word in, and you'll get some extra ballots uh, into the contest to increase your chances of uh, winning. What's in the prize package? Great question. You get uh, two indoor cameras, a doorbell camera, and three smart light bulbs, and a smartware security device uh, as well. So uh, a great way to uh, make yourself and uh, your home and family extra secure. I want to thank all the folks that helped put this show together. We will see you again next week.